Fields of Sunday, who choose the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who they think this is just a story for children, especially with the tree climbing involved. But we can all learn from these wise words in the Gospel of Luke. Hear the story as if it for the first time. I will be reading Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You may follow along in your pre-Bible on page 1630. Let us listen to this word from God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And was passing through. A man named Zacchaeus lived there. He was a chief tax collector and very was very rich. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was a short man. He could not see Jesus because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. He wanted to see Jesus, who was coming that way. Jesus, Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this. They began to whisper among themselves. They said, Jesus has gone Jesus has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. He said, look, Lord, here I now give you half of what I owe to those who are poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back. I will pay back four times the amount I took. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. You are a member of Abraham's family line. The son of man who came to look for the lost and saved them. This is a word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is great, right? I love it. Even as my cue thing's about to fall apart right here. Don't mind me. Get that out of the way. Today's sermon title is Wayside Shrines. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, so many of us this day are just passing through. Just on our way from one place to another. Stop, oh God, in this place and see us where we are. Indeed, God, send your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight will be pleasing, glorifying. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this past summer, a group of us from this community, from our church, Christ Church in the Temple, were in the neighborhood of Jericho. We were on an interfaith trip to the Holy Land, and it was the end of a very long day when we decided to take a detour, a long, hot day, too. Jericho's right down next to the Dead Sea, which is one of the lowest places on the face of the planet, and it gets hot. Now, Jericho might be a little bit different today than you are conjuring up in your mind as you listen to this story. Jericho today is part of the Palestinian-controlled West Bank. 
It's not a particularly big town, but it feels almost abandoned, particularly in the summertime, because it's so hot that even the locals flee for the hills for some place, even an iota cooler. So our bus, we pull into the main road of Jericho and take a few turns on our way to see the, right, the sycamore fig tree. We eventually take a bend in the road and the bus slows down and the tour guide on the microphone up front starts telling everyone, now look out the right, we all sort of pile that direction. She says, now if you just squint, just squint, slow down a little bit more and the horns start picking up and people are giving you colorful gestures, right? Some things about tourist towns are universal, I think, whether it's St. Simon's and a trolley or a golf cart and a town in the West Bank on the other side of the world. But anyway, she starts saying, now, if you just look through there, through that fence, those, those trees, those brush, you kind of squint, and you see there, she says, right there, you see at the tree? Now, it's maybe that one, but it could be the one next to it, too, or, not, or, or that one. And you squint, and you kind of just catch a glimpse of what appears to be a very old tree, and then before you know it, the bus picks up speed, and you're off. Right? It's kind of a disappointing experience. I've been twice now to that tree, and it's been disappointing both times in that sense that you barely see something, and then you're off. Now, Jesus' experience in our reading, in our story today, it's very different, isn't it? Jesus, now he's passing through too. He's kind of made a little bit of a detour from the north of Israel on his way to Jerusalem. Right after this story is essentially the beginning of Holy Week in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus enters the gates of Jerusalem and is eventually arrested and tried and executed and buried and on the third day rose again. All of this is happening right before there. He's on his way to Jerusalem, passing through Jericho. But unlike us on that bus this summer, he doesn't sort of idle by and then pick up speed. Jesus does what? He stops. It says he comes to the spot and he stops. And he looks up and he sees a person in a tree. The Gospels are full of stories like this one. Jesus is almost always on the move. No matter which of the four Gospels you open up to, there's always this sense of momentum of Jesus on the move from one place to another. But what's funny is that Jesus rarely seems to stop in the places he's heading. The only times he stops are for the people that are on the way. Right? It might tell you Jesus is on his way from here to Galilee, but once he gets to Galilee, that doesn't even seem to matter that much because he, he happens upon people on the way. He stops for people, not places. There's Jesus walking along the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and he stops because he sees brothers on a boat tending nets with their father. Jesus, right before this story, he gets on a boat and he's going across the lake but once he gets across the lake, it really doesn't seem to make any sense of why he's there because he wanders caves until he stops and he sees a demon-possessed man. Even on his way into Jericho, the verses right before this story, it says Jesus is on the road and there by the road is a blind beggar. And Jesus stops and he heals him. 
There are these roadside monuments in certain places of the world. They're everywhere, really, but you find them most in parts of Europe and Eastern Europe. They're called wayside shrines. They're oftentimes set up, these buildings, to commemorate or to honor the memory of a deceased loved one. But somewhere along the way, religious folks sort of caught on, and Christians in particular, in that part of the world, they build these wayside shrines along roads that lead to pilgrim sites. Except the shrines themselves, they're not in a city. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're at mile marker 100 of 250 on your way to wherever. These wayside shrines are set up in order to signal to the pilgrim that they're on the right path. Isn't that interesting? You see a wayside shrine and it's a clue that you're heading in the right direction. But there's other purposes to them as well. They're meant to be a place where a pilgrim can stop along the way, can rest and and offer praise. It's a place where a pilgrim can stop and turn their heart and their mind toward God, even before they get to their destination. Wayside shrines. It occurred to me reading this story and even seeing the kids enacted today so well that for Jesus, people are his wayside shrines. It is these people Jesus meets along the way that remind him that he is on the right path. But it takes work, doesn't it? It takes work to even notice, to stop long enough to even notice that here is a wayside shrine along the road, the path of my life. Because I think many of us, we are conditioned to just drive on by. Few of us are conditioned to actually notice and stop, right? When was the last time that one of us saw a blind beggar by the road? A, saw the blind beggar, and B, thought to ourselves, I'm going to stop and talk to such a person. When was the last time any of us came across a demon-possessed man in biblical terms and thought to ourselves, I'd like to go into his cave and have a conversation. When was the last time one of us saw a tax collector up in a tree and thought anything else other than, why don't you just stay right where you are? I think the story of Zacchaeus invites us today to consider who are those wayside shrines in our lives. Who are the ones that don't really seem worth slowing down for? Who are the ones that we tend to keep at such a distance that we have to to squint to even see them? Who are the ones that we tend to detour around, or if we're with others, tend to encourage them to detour around with a little tap of our proverbial oratorical horn or a friendly, colorful gesture or two? Who are those people for us? Are they people who happen to live in the wrong neighborhood, maybe? Now, for the last five, five and a half years now, Cassie Odom, a member of this church, and me and a few others, every other Tuesday, most every other Tuesday, we go over to Wolf Street in Brunswick. So Wolf Street is a street you may know because it appears in the newspaper sometimes, but it tends to not appear there for the best reasons. But Cassie and I, we go over as part of the Ministry of FaithWorks of Sparrow's Nest, the organization we're gathering food for this month and as part of our fall festival. 
and we get little bags of food and we deliver them to about six elderly shut-in people or families to help supplement their groceries for the month. They're on a fixed income. And we go down to Wolf Street and we park the car and we go door to door and we greet them and we give hugs and we check in. And there are times where I have to confess, I'm looking at my watch and my calendar on Tuesday and I think to myself, I really don't have time to do this today. And there are times where I've said, I can't do it today. But I swear to you, every time that, that we go and we have one of those conversations on someone's porch, I leave that place thinking to myself, I'm on the right path. I'm heading in the right direction. It's not so much my doing for them. In fact, it's almost always what they do for me, the ways that they show me Christ's love and Christ's work and Christ's life alive and well right there in the neighborhood that some, in fact, I have had people tell me, skip by that street. Don't bother to stop dangerous. Who are those wayside shrines for us? Are they people who maybe practice the wrong faith, whatever that might be? Are they people who we maybe consider to be the other, whoever that might be, the immigrant, the enemy? What about children (laughs) on Children's Sunday? Could children be a wayside shrine for us? Personally, I think the answer is yes. I think that children are perhaps the greatest wayside shrines for any of us. Just the other day, I was driving home with my oldest in the back seat listening to music we weren't even talking and out of nowhere he asked me dad how big is God if that doesn't get you to stop so there's a monastery in Coleman Alabama northwest Alabama I think called St. Benedict's been around for a long time. In 1892, a monk named Brother Joseph showed up there at the age of 14. 1892, age 14, this boy shows up, Brother Joseph. He was told by the abbot almost as soon as he got there that because he had a physical deformity, he could never be a priest because it'd be too much of a distraction. Imagine that. And so they sent Brother Joseph to work. He spent years working first in a quarry there on the property of St. Benedict, and then they sent him sort of on a tour of parishes around the southeast where he served as a, a housekeeper for various properties. And then eventually he returned and he was put in charge of the powerhouse, which is essentially, I found out, the tool shed for St. Benedict. And for much of that time, he loathed his work. He grumbled about it to the other brothers at the monastery and his journals, if you go back and read them. He did not particularly enjoy his work. But what he did enjoy doing was this little hobby of his in his free time. In his free time, Brother Joseph would go around the property and he would gather together broken pieces of glass and concrete and trinkets and discarded building materials. And he he began building from all of these disparate pieces of material these little buildings these shrines. It started as a hobby and then it sort of grew into an obsession. By the time he died in 1961, there was this garden that covers literally several acres on the property of this monastery. 
And some of the things are a little bit tacky. I think anyone would tell you that. It's kind of this tourist destination now. People pull off the highway to check it out. But there's something in his creations that causes people to stop. Rachel Held Evans wrote a book a number of years ago. She was a writer and theologian. She tragically died earlier this year, just in her 40s. Before she did, though, she had traveled to St. Benedict, to this monastery, to have a retreat of sorts and to visit these gardens of St. Brother Joseph, rather, of his creations. When she got there, she was searching, literally. She had grown up in a evangelical fundamentalist type tradition that she had sort of slowly moved away from and then she was part of a church plant that showed some promise before it just fell apart she didn't really have a spiritual uh, faith home physically or metaphorically at that point in her life when she came to saint joseph but there in that garden particularly as she walked between some of his creations along a path and found there these wayside shrines. She writes in her book, Searching for Sunday, I finally found direction. And the direction she found there was a revelation of sorts. She says, I realized there standing next to this wayside shrine, something that is true about all of us. That in a sense, we are all We're all a bit like Brother Joseph, piecing together our faith, one shard of broken glass at a time. And that's the other thing. Wayside shrines, they can and and they should change us. Right? Rachel held Evans. She was changed there along that path. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is changed in this story. There he is at the beginning, up in that tree with that patchwork life of greed and sin and cheating. And then Jesus comes and he does what? He stops and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus up there in that tree and he calls him down. And something shifts, something changes from that point forward in Zacchaeus' life. I will give half of my possessions to the poor, he says. I'll pay back my debts Four times. The point of that isn't to go do the math. The point is that here is a man who is changed. Here is a man who still has broken glass. He can't change his past, but those pieces have now been put together differently through this encounter with Jesus. From this point forward, here is this man, Zacchaeus, who is ready to live life differently live life in right relationship with his neighbor, perhaps for the very first time since he was a child. That's the thing. I think that we sell children Sunday short if we all leave here just thinking, well, that was a nice gesture. I think we sell this day short if we just think, well, this is a great way to get the kids involved while we go ahead and pass through on our way from bed to brunch, right? I think we sell this day short if that's all we take because they are teaching us the story again of our own lives. We are all Zacchaeus. We are all, every last one of us, we are here today up in our trees 
We are all trying to piece together our lives, our faith. We're trying to make amends for those things that we have all messed up. And here in this worship, the youngest amongst us are setting up a wayside shrine. They want us to hear and to be changed again by that story. That story that tells us God has stopped here in this place at this stop today. And here in this place, God looks up and he sees us in our trees, high up in those branches with names like anger and and avarice and animosity and hurt. God sees us up in those trees and to us all, God says, come down. Come down because I am coming home. Friends, this day, at this place, at this wayside shrine, come down out of your trees. Come down and see how big God's love really is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.